get out and move. Depression is gross because it, you want to sit still, you want to sleep, you want to watch TV, yeah. get out and walk. And, and my goodness, if you can create relationships with people that you can talk with and, and that aren't going to try to give you 10 pound brain answers or tell you why you're wrong from whatever religious aspect, just listen as yeah. you tell your story, that will cover a multitude of sins. This is episode four with Marine combat veteran, Jake Freeman. Welcome to Take Command with Paul Gowan. I am a Mustang Marine turned international leadership consultant. Each time we come together, I bring you inspiring people and messages to help you take command of your relationships, your time, and your finances so that you are free to lead the life you want. More than taking action, greater than empowerment, take command of your life. Starting in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Helen Keller said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. And, and today's Take Command conversation with Jake, we talked about how emotion serves as such a crucial piece of information. Uh, it's how Jake and I initially met was his awareness of emotion being information. Jake's also worked through his own emotional journey and is finishing up his master's degree to help people with their emotional expression. Jake is married to uh, his wife. He calls her lovingly sweet baby Jay. They have four kids together, all under the age of 13, and they live up in rural Montana. They recently bought 27 acres. They have uh, one dog, 15 chickens, three goats, two pigs, a terrible cat, and nine ducks. In the future, they want more kids, more dogs, add some horses into the mix, and some American bison. They pride themselves on living off the land, eating wild meat from nature, and even making their own bread. Jake is a, a lifelong learner. He has a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in HR management, is currently pursuing licensure as a marriage and family therapist after completing that graduate coursework, and also holds certifications as a senior HR professional. He's also a uh, Marine Corps major in the United States Marine Corps Reserves. He has two combat deployments in Afghanistan. One of them, he and I got to serve alongside of each other. Currently, he's designated as a civil affairs officer who acts as a liaison or an interface in between military forces and civilian leaders. When he was in the Philippines a few years ago, he and his wife took stewardship uh, of a, a young woman who is being groomed for human trafficking, and they are proudly sponsoring and paying her way to uh, earn a civil engineering degree. Jake's major focus in life is on the untapped goodness and capabilities of people. He believes that people exist so that they might have joy. And if they don't have joy, then something should be addressed. He is practical, but is best at deep coaching conversations. He has grown to realize that the deep systems that drive us are so powerful, so complex, and beyond our logic that they mostly lend themselves to analogy, myths, and archetypes. He also is fluent in Swedish and finds great value in Nordic myths. In this Take Command conversation, Jake talks about the effectiveness of one of his leaders in the Marine Corps being vulnerable and how leaders can better serve from being vulnerable, how Jake transformed the retention rate of the interpreters uh, that were assigned to his team in war-torn Afghanistan and what this did for the success to their mission. 
and his take on how people with post-traumatic stress often take short-term pleasure that has negative long-term consequences. And he understands, or he has a take on how he understands that and how to, how to get ahead of that. I asked him around how to innovate and pursue process, uh, what his biggest lesson that he learned from his parents and how he and Sweet Baby Jay are taking those lessons and raising their kids. And then how he takes steps to change his mindset and outlook on life. You'll also learn these surprising facts around the fatal flaw that many organizations have with their people. I know you're going to love this conversation. If you're emotionally aware, then this episode is for you. And if you know someone who's been struggling to process emotion, especially around trauma, then send them this conversation. Be that champion or hero in someone's life. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, then share it with your friend, your family member, your colleague, your your boss, your kids, whoever it is, share this episode with them, or you can send them to paulgowan.com slash 004 for the full show notes and uh, video episode. And then be sure to follow up. Ask them what they got out of the episode. Use this as a catalyst for a conversation. Hold them accountable in their emotional expression from what you all will learn together. This is such a powerful episode. Send them that link, share the episode, because I love for you guys to connect. I love for you to be a part of the community here at the Take Command Project. And this Take Command Conversation podcast is one of the ways that we can come together to help improve each other's lives. That's what this project is all about. So let's jump into today's conversation. Hey, welcome to the Take Command podcast by main man, Jake Freeman in the house. Thanks so much for joining us, Jake. Yeah, Paul. Uh, love the invite. Love talking with you. I'm excited to see what you've been doing over the last few years. Yeah, man. Uh, for my listeners, uh, viewers, wherever you're watching this podcast today, uh, Jake and I served as lieutenants in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, so we have that in common. Uh, let's see. What else did I figure out that we? I, I was a captain, Paul. I, I was we, a captain. We, we, we did meet as lieutenants. Noted. <laughs> so we have the uh, a Marine Corps history together. Uh, we also have a commonality of international volunteerism. Uh, I did some work in Okinawa and Thailand, and you did some work in the Philippines. Uh, uh, yeah, Philippines and Afghanistan, arguably. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, post-traumatic stress shows up in both both of our lives. Uh, I don't know if how many people would be like, oh, this is great. Let's champion this commonality. I think we've had an <laughs> ability to have some really direct conversations with each other uh, and other, yes. in our, other people in uh, our lives uh, because of that. And then we, uh, after Afghanistan, where we served together, we both worked for multinational corporations. I don't know if you knew about that about me. I got to work with a, a multinational corporation. Okay. You, awesome. You got wise to it before I did. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the focus of the Take Command podcast is to inspire and educate uh, and motivate people that might be feeling stuck in their lives and their relationships and in their, in their businesses for how they can take yeah. command. Uh, and let's jump in. I mean, let's go to where, uh, ah, let's, let's go to where we first met. Cause there was a bit of a, a, a who's in charge here. Who's on first kind of a situation. Well, was it in charge or the fact that you didn't like me? So, all right. 
to set the stage, I was in a really funky regiment, which is like in, in the core, you have the, the base level unit, I guess, uh, at a bigger level as a battalion, then you have a regiment and a division. I was, I was in a weird experimental regiment, uh, like the, the weird dogs that they didn't know what to do with. They put them in this regiment and they assigned like a command staff to oversee that regiment. Nobody in the division liked that regiment. Now, because of that, we never got what we needed. Now, my commander had said, Jake, I need good people in my regiment to help run this thing. And since we weren't getting a lot of support, I, uh, th there's a saying, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And I tried. And my trying uh, impacted <laughs> directly Paul, um, who was, uh, he was, he was friendly, but not quite tame back then, we'll say. And he called me one day and he had words with the way I was going about business because it, yeah. it, it made his job impossible. Oh well, yeah. When he it was nuts. Words, it was crazy. Cause here you were like in this junior uh, ranking organization. And as you're doing your best to figure it out and keep your boss happy, like you decided to jump out of the fishbowl and tainted other waters. And then I got, I got slapped by higher headquarters for that one. But yeah, empathy is line of sight. I, I didn't know who Paul was and, and empathy is line of sight. So I didn't feel bad about this mystery man. Well, he called me and he read me the riot act and I thought I've got to go meet this guy. So I drove up and walked into his office and did I put my boots on your desk that day or later? I think he waited uh, until I wasn't, wasn't home. And I got to come home to yeah, my office and, and see your, your boots up on my desk. Something I just really didn't. I, I used to. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul was a bit, uptight in my opinion back then so i went in and i'm i'm a friendly cat so i just went in and i says you know lieutenant gowan hi i'm lieutenant freeman this is the things i do and he tried not to like me and he said words i left liking him even more from that i liked his intensity and his passion i failed and, miserably uh, at wanting to be angry at you well, I, I guess Paul, when, when people would, when he would front up to people, they would front back or back down that, oh, we're dealing with that guy. And I came with the hugs, the big hugs. So and uh, yeah. And so, you know, you, he, he drew a circle to exclude me and I drew a bigger circle to include him. It was beautiful. And, and here we are. It was beautiful. And before we fast forward, because uh, what, a few months later or maybe a year later, uh, unbeknownst to either of us, we end up in Afghanistan right. together. And, and we'll talk about that uh, here in a minute. Yeah. You were in this completely unknown space, this mm -hmm. experimental regiment. Uh, some of the listeners are in a, in a place of being in a startup or maybe they're in a reorg within their company. What were some of the, the problem sets that you saw and what was some of the innovation that you just said, I take command of this. I, I don't know what the, yeah. there's nothing in the rule book. There's nothing in the Marine Corps publications. There's nothing in the Marine Corps order. The job must get done. So the, yeah. walk us through some of that. So the, the, this was called the remain behind regiment. Now, when a, when a unit deploys uh, to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever else, the guys and gals who are not either physically fit, uh, medically fit, or legally fit to go get left behind. And they're in a remain behind element. And typically in these battalions uh, where they're left behind, they're, they're just a time and effort suck. 
And so uh, one of the, uh, I think it was the commanding general at the time, he said, you know what, let's alleviate all the, all the different battalions in the division from having to deal with these elements and move them under one regimental uh, command. Um, and so they moved it onto the regimental command and it was just a totally new idea. None of the old dogs liked it. And no. so they wanted to fight, 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 and make it just not exist anymore. Right. Now, my boss at the time, who was a phenomenal Marine officer, just a phenomenal human being, I mean, he had obviously incentive to make it work, right? And, and we loved the guy. So, and, and his, and I learned from him a lot about leadership. He said, guys, I need you to help me out. I, may, I need you to help me look good here because I got everything. I got the entire division against me. I need you to make me look good. There was no fear. There was no hate and discontent. It was just pure guys, vulnerability wise. This is where I'm at. I need your help. And, and every one of us said, you know, I, I, sir. And we made it happen to Paul chagrin a little bit. Um, one of the issues was it would take up to 12 weeks or longer. No, I think it was four months. It was four months to run what we call an administrative separation. Uh, in the Marine Corps, you can't just fire somebody. There's, there's a thorough mm -hmm. process you have to go through. So our administrative separation process was like four months. We yeah. got it down to uh, me and a, a friend who worked together. We got it down to, I think, in, in most cases, about two weeks, two weeks. And that was incredible. And what it turned into was the great thing for our commander, a bad thing for the long-term life of the unit, where all the other units were still taking four months. And General Tulin was able to turn to all the other regimental commanders and say, guys, why is this goofy remain behind regiment able to do this in two weeks? And all of you guys, it takes four months. They're making you look bad. Oh, that was not a popular thing to say. But it ultimately made our boss win. Although the remain behind element uh, or the remain behind regiment went away as an experiment, it our our boss went on to you know greater things I think at the Pentagon, um, but it it turned out to be a success for what our mandate was and how we did that. What we created uh, relationships, we went through the manuals and saw what was you know legal, what was important, what was urgent, and decided to do what was legal and important. Mm -hmm. And it it while protecting the civil rights of our Marines because we didn't. We are our, our boss guy. And this is one of the reasons I, we loved him. He didn't want to just push problem cases out into the streets, out into the civilian world. One right. of the mandates was we need to turn these Marines out as better U.S. citizens than they were when they joined. And even if they very, made very some bad. mistakes while they were in uniform, we, we mm -hmm. must follow a process that protects their rights and mm -hmm. work to remediate and, and, and mentor them. them and teach them. Yes. Yeah, I was I was in that meeting when uh, the chief of staff speaking on on behalf of the general uh, <laughs> highlighted the fact of your efficiencies. Yeah, what was it that that you? How was the process? And if we can get out of the Marine Corps, what were some of those yeah. steps that you identified? Of there's a gap. If I focus my efforts there, I can close that gap. There's another gap over there because we're oh. not we're not naturally Paul. plate spinners. So how did, no. what was your process in going through that? Paul, I mean, this is a skill that, that is a skill that I wish I had learned 10 years prior. It is process mapping, you know, process title. And you can do it on a whiteboard. I wish I had a whiteboard behind me now, but it is, it is, you know, uh, what, 
you know, step one through 12 or whatever it is, what that, what you call that step, who owns it and how many man hours that takes. And so we're able to identify, you know, first write up, you know, whatever initiating paperwork it is, send it over to our legal guy to review and sign, send it up to base legal, send it over to the, 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 the division psychiatrist, all those different steps. We were able to see, okay, this takes two hours. This takes a week. It's maybe not fair. Let's, let's, we can get that down. Oh, cool. We can get that down to four days by personally running it up to this guy instead of sending it through the mail. Right. Uh, and then there's a point where it hits like whatever super slow division administration, you know, think of it as like a, the, the, the corporate HR function. Yeah, uh, 27,000 person those, organization. Yeah. Right. Those guys take three weeks. Those guys take eight weeks. Why? Identifying why and helping alleviate the why from them. And, and it got it down to, we could, by, by identifying what was taking them so long. And in our case, it was the administrative separation packets were misorganized for what they needed. They weren't tabulated or, you know, highlighted for, you know, what signatures or decision points they were. So we got to the point where every week on a certain day, at a certain hour, we would go up with a stack and sit down with whoever it was. I, I think the staff secretary, like just think of, of the, the main, the main boss's uh, executive assistant, right? And, and go through it with them for an hour. And they would say, you know, cool. We'll sign this. We'll sign this. We'll sign this. We need greater detail on that. Um, we totally want to push back on that. And we would come out of the office with signatures on everything we needed. And we could then execute and have these dudes or dudettes out, you know, on the greater things. Because the, the so Marines weren't getting anything great besides getting sorted out for some of these details for mowing lawns and painting curbs. So it wasn't that they were really yes. hammering at the bit to like stay in uniform. Uh, so yeah. you, you really brought the people back to the bureaucracy on this, that the people aspect. Right. Uh, well, cause every one of these people knew they were going to get out of the Marines, every one of them. And so they're talking with their mom and dad and their uncle about what they're, what are they going to do with the, when they get out and what jobs they can get. It is impossible to get a job in the civilian world if you can't say, yeah, I can, I can come work for you in the next 30 days. If you're like, well, I can maybe come work for you over the, in the next nine weeks, nobody's going to keep a seat open for you. And we realize that. Yeah. We realize that. So the intent was to, to give them some predictability yeah. as much as we possibly could. And, and when I look now, I've, you know, I've been in some really high level organizations. I've got master's degrees in organizational science, the, I, I think one of the major fatal flaws is that organizations don't provide predictability, uh, not stability, predictability to their people, optionality, right? So we tried to provide that. And so people would go on and instead of just getting out and then looking for a job, they could get, they could secure employment before they got out. So they went from stability to stability, which can be very important for folks. It came with rattling the the trees, though, because I remember one of the the major hangups was in the legal process. The staff judge advocates section uh, was an absolute train wreck. Uh, their their leader <laughs> was a bit of a train wreck, as as uh, we got to see as we went to Afghanistan and served with him. Uh, and that entire section, um, former Marines that became civilians, uh, punching a punching a time card, and really just nitnoiden periods and commas 
instead of looking at the greater perspective uh, and changing the rules. And, and you were right. able to traverse this. Uh, I love this uh, because I, I had the great fortune of serving under the second female drum major in the history of the Marine Corps. I was uh, originally in the band, as I think you know. And I remember Kim Silkey telling me one day, uh, Gowan, why do I have a parking spot out front? And I'm like, because you're a master sergeant, because you're the senior enlisted, because you're our leader. And she's like, no, yeah. I have a parking spot because when on base face to face, I get in my car and I drive over and I talk to a person. And this was back in 2001. And she goes, you don't pick up the phone, Gowan. And she's like mentoring me and chewing my butt for something I had no idea what was going on. Uh, and she right. said like, email is going to destroy the Marine Corps because we're gonna lose this yeah. ability to go kneecap to kneecap with someone. Uh, and I yeah. love hearing how you, how you did that. Uh, you brought right. the humanity back to the bureaucracy. Well, dude, emotion is information. And when I got my call from you that you were angry, I, I realized I had a stakeholder who I needed to create a relationship with. So I didn't, you know, I could have given you a sassy, snarky comeback. Like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm good at those things. Especially uh, because you outranked me. You, you were a senior officer. Well, you know, yeah. I didn't want to pull that card, but that, that no, was so very I, much so a card that I was like, like I ignoring. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, so I wanted to go up and meet you because you've got to form human relationships and that's another fatal flaw organizations do they try to take the human relationships out but you cannot it, it it is it's impossible and when you do you create technocracies as i call them uh technical autocracies and it it is blind to the the primary factor of your growth the primary factor of your excellence which is your people and then your best people start leaving you and you wonder why well we got great systems our software is phenomenal but your people your good people leave because they're not heard they're not felt they don't have relationships yeah so i love that uh one of the things we talked about as we reunited in afghanistan is that the the mark of any organization is the responsibility of a leader if you see a phenomenal organization it is the leader's fault if you see a, an abysmal organization it is that leader's fault. And I really love how you highlighted that you in that leadership role had a way to serve these Marines even on their way out of the Marine Corps. When we went to Afghanistan, you had the ability to serve some other people on your teams because you had some interpreters that you were working with. Mm -hmm. uh, talk with us yeah. about that vital role that the interpreter served for your unit. So the Turks, the Tajiman, as they're called in, in the uh, Tajik language, were in a, a really unfortunate spot. They were our primary interface with the Taliban and the primary interface with the people. And because they looked and felt and smelled like the locals, a lot of the old school Marines did not trust them and didn't teach them well or uh, treat them well. And I'm talking... When they weren't out on patrol, they were literally locked into a, a, a tent without any kind of, you know, climate control. And we're talking 120 degree Afghanistan, like to me, really, really poor conduct. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of history <clears throat> and I remember how the really good units in Vietnam uh, lived with the Vietnamese uh, 
soldiers, you know, the good guys that they, that they fought alongside, they right. lived with them. Right. Right. right? Rack space to rack space. And I thought, man, we are making a huge historical mistake here by treating these guys like this. So I, I, I basically liberated my linguists on my first deployment. And then on my second deployment, I went in and I assessed, all right, their tents are nasty. They're they're Basically I treated them like Marines. They had the same clothes. The Marines had the same equipment. The Marines had the same rack space. The Marines had the same billeting. The Marines had uh, billeting is, is lodging, right? They, you could not walk into a, a Marines uh, tent or, or, you know, uh, room living space and a, and a linguist living space and tell the difference. And while a lot of the guys thought I was making a huge mistake and it was going to make them soft, it did the exact opposite. They became loyal, hugely loyal to us. And it came back that, <clears throat> that I created the, the most stable linguist population in the entire battle space of Afghanistan. And I had 120 why, linguists to deal why with. Why is that right? so essential? The stability of your linguists. Why is that so essential? Well, because uh, American English is hard to teach in schools, especially Marine Corps American English. It's slang, it's vulgar, it's violent, it's emotional. And you can't really learn it from a textbook. You have to live with Marines and, and particularly Marine individuals. So these linguists that, that would come and work with us for three, four months and then go on vacation to decide that they hated it so bad that they didn't want to come back, we would get hired another one and it was starting from scratch. And we're talking guys that couldn't even write their name in the English language scratch. And, and that was a huge that problem. And it was a huge problem that the unit before us had. And I thought, well, that's dumb. Why don't we just retain the guys that we already have, that we formed the relationships with? Because you need to be able to tell in a, in a, in a battle space, uh, intrinsic communication, unspoken communication. You, so, so I can tell when uh, Muhammad over here is, is getting antsy, when he's feeling that something is amiss, because emotion is information. When he's feeling amiss on a patrol, the other Marines got to pick that up and vice versa. He's got to be able to tell when the Marines are, something's not right here. We're about to walk into an ambush or whatever it is. And, and that trust literally saves lives, literally saves lives. Yeah. And so I, it just, it wasn't worth it to me to try to big boy these dudes, these human beings. So we, so they would know that, that, you know, we're America, you need to get in line and serve us in effect, killing us and them. Like it's just stupid. Right. right so right. That, that's why that mattered. This, this didn't just show up when you accepted a commission uh, to serve in the United States Marine Corps. So l let's go back to your childhood. Uh, yeah. Where, where did you have an opportunity as a child that, that you could have sat this one out or remained silent or, or gone with the status quo and you said, no, there's, there's a different way, there's an innovative way, there's something, and then you, you, you are that leader. Give us the genesis. What's the birth story? Good question, Paul. And I'm not sure I know the answer to it. Um, I always liked the, I, 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 was, I was raised in a family of heroism. Perhaps not always good at heroism, but good at the stories and good at practicing in many ways. Um, my mother and father took in a lot of stray cats and dog human beings that, that were down and out. Uh, and, and it wasn't like one of these nasty 
uh, we're going to give you a paycheck and let you just be on the doldrums and, and rot your life away. It was having hard conversations about, you know, what got you here won't get you to wherever you want to be in the future. Um, and, and helping them assess what their true abilities were, uh, and, and then turning them out of doors to, to live a better life. And, uh, I, I was able to observe that. And then in my own life, uh, my father talked to me very often about making honorable choices when it came to people. Don't sell people out. Don't treat them poorly. Um, don't, don't, uh, what's the word? Patronize them, but be, be really real with people. And, yeah. and he, my mother and father, they built several sales organizations and had a huge amount of loyalty huge amount of loyalty because they weren't corporate. They, they were real. I mean, they were really authentic and real. And, and sometimes it was scary. Sometimes it was messy, but it was really effective. I mean, uh, yeah, without getting into too many personal details, but I, you know, when I, <clears throat> when I would take big risks, uh, you know, for a, a 16 year old, I would, I would get applauded. I remember there was this one case where this kid uh, divulged to me that he was getting abused at home by his uh, mom and stepdad. And he really, really wanted to get back to his dad. This was in Texas. He really wanted to get back to his dad in Arizona. Um, but his mom wouldn't give him a, a bus. It wouldn't pay his way. And so I skipped school with this kid and we went around mowing lawns until we raised enough money to almost get a bus ticket. And then I sold my speaker system at the pawn shop and had enough. And bought this kid a bus ticket and sent him on his way at 16 years old. He could have been scamming me. I don't know. I still don't think he was. Um, my dad got a call from the school that I wasn't there. So when I got home, he said, you know, Hey, it's got a call from the school that you weren't there. What happened? And I told him straight up what I did. I skipped yeah. school to you know, send this kid to his dad. And he, you know, my dad was a pretty hard dude and he, I mean, tears in his eyes embraced me and said, Jake, you could have come to me and I would have paid his way. And I said, I know, but, you know, this was my thing. This was my deal. And I think my dad was never more proud of me than that uh, day uh, where I did arguably the very right thing. And I, and I kept in touch with that kid. Um, you know, police never came and, and knocked on my door. So apparently there wasn't a criminal complaint. Uh, and he went and lived with his dad happily ever after. Right. Um, it, I, I, I think the normal route, I think the normal way is for chumps and it, it no, People are rarely happy these days in modernity. Modernity isn't a, isn't a really good place to be Yeah. Uh, for us. I, I think old rules really do still apply more than we sometimes like to think. And the old rule is if you see a dude in a hard spot, you do what you can to help him out without being patronizing, without making them weak, my opinion. I think that's something that you and I shared in common in Afghanistan is there was a, a, a comment that was rampant well before you and I stepped foot in Afghanistan. It was the military's view of Afghan good enough. Instead of oh, doing what Marines do is set and hold and train to that standard so your Marines can yeah. go well beyond that. It was like we kept yeah. lowering the bar like some distorted game of limbo. Uh, right. Is that the game? The limbo stick? It, it, it is. It is. Yeah. It is. And it put our, it, it put our mission in, in limbo. Uh, right. And, and uh, yeah, that's, a, that's probably a, a, a conversation for another day. 
going back to land wars in Asia, man, one of the classic blunders, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, going back to your childhood, who was yeah. more influential, your mom or your dad growing up? And what was the biggest lesson that you learned from them? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, hard to say, dude. My, my, my dad was, like I said, a hard man that I could rely on. Like he, it was the type of relationship where I knew day or night, 24 seven, I could call him from anywhere in the country and magically he would show up. And now he was the most intimidating violence prone guy I've ever known. Like, uh, just you, you force of nature, the type of guy he'd walk into a room of crowded people full of conversation and it would just go quiet. And he never understood why, but he just had such a, a presence of power. He didn't always use it for, uh, upright, good things all the time. Um, but he did enough or he did an overwhelming amount of good that it, it made a huge impact on me. Use the power and violence of your personality for good. And he had, I mean, knowing his childhood, the guy was so abused in every way you can imagine by everybody you can imagine. He could have turned that on a hundredfold onto his kids and his family. And he necessarily didn't it, it, in, in many ways, the stuff died with him. And he always told me that one of my jobs as his son is to take whatever he's given me and make it better. Right. So every iteration, every generation gets better. My mother's the type that unabashedly with no questions asked, will give you the, the shirt off her back. Easy woman to scam as, as many of her kids found out. Um, not me necessarily, but you know, the other kids. Um, right, right, so right. I learned that, uh, right. Uh, I, I was a good kid. Paul. Um, I, I learned the, a lot of vulnerability and strength of, of, um, love from her and I learned discipline and high expectations and reliability from my dad. <clears throat> and you must have those things. You can't be a hard ass in all places and all things that, that just, that's a sanitized concrete, uh, uh environment where everything is, is safe and reliable, but nothing can grow. As And on the other hand, you can't be a completely optimistic love because then you're a wild jungle where uh, the ecosystem eats itself, right? You've yeah. got to have elements of both. Right, right. You uh, recently moved to Montana just in time for winter, building your own home. Yeah. How are you translating those lessons and that influence from your parents to your children? Um, completely a noble, Paul, not until they're older. Um, I mean, you think what I, what I learned about kids is that you think you have a good strategy for raising kids. And then when they start getting into their teenage years, you realize that, uh, you go to bed and just, are they alive today? Check yes or no. Um, <laughs> uh, however, I, I have learned that they, they can handle themselves. I mean, I guess what Janet and I have done well is that our kids are completely nonplussed. Now we had a crazy experience in Sweden where the Swedish uh, social services decided they didn't like the fact that I was a combat deployed Marine 
and actually tried to take our kids away. And we got a heads up from some friends who worked in the foster system there uh, that, hey, you need to get out of here. And we did. And and our kids were just troopers the entire time. Like just, there was no complaining. No, they like, it was, it was a fascinating adventure for them. And they were thrilled that we moved out to the middle of nowhere on 30 acres in Montana with a generator and an RV building a house by hand. I've never built a house. I've remodeled a couple, but I've never built a house, but they are just thrilled. And so I, I think a huge fallacy in our culture is, is the, the concept that a, an operator doesn't take action without the end state in view. Uh, that's something that was developed uh, by an Islamic philosopher that the Islamists rejected. And, they, and they're like, no, it's more like inshallah, man. It's more like, you know, if God wills it. Well, Aristotle, uh, not Aristotle, I'm sorry, uh, uh, St. Francis, I think it was, picked it up. and like, no, this sounds like a great concept. And then we see that injected into Western culture. You don't take action unless you have an end state in view. The problem with that is very rarely does our, uh, we, we start, may start with an end state and then we do, 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 do. We very rarely end up with the end state we originally thought. Right. We think, well, we just iterated our way. We were fooled by randomness. That's all we right, were. Right. And so we've, we've taught our kids a lot about optionality. Keep yourself from having blowups. Keep yourself from getting tied down by debt or, or dumb responsibilities that do not really add to your happiness or well-being and, and give yourself the ability to make the best choices possible at any one time. That doesn't mean like be unaffiliated from relationships or loyalties, not at all. It just means don't get yourself into foolish constraints that really are not value added for you or the people you love. So no, they've, they've thrived here. And now we have this house that I'm in right now that I built with my hands. Uh, and we've got two pigs, 10 ducks and 15 chickens and three goats. And the kids are just, you've never seen such happy kids running around sword yeah. fighting with sticks, right? Beating each other with nerves and arrows being kids, being kids, man. Yeah, I love that, especially because you are right in the neighborhood of where I grew up. Uh, so yeah, I love that I that is just such an awesome, awesome uh, development there. We, we talked at the beginning that you and I have post-traumatic stress. So not mm-hmm. in the, the details of what caused that when, that, when that tsunami starts to take right. you under, how do you come back out on top? For some of our listeners um, that are working with fear and anxiety at the, at yeah. the time that we're filming this, we've got COVID running rampant uh, in, uh, right. in America, uh, and that's creating a lot of fear and stress and anxiety. People with anxiety disorders like post-traumatic stress, this is kind of like, okay, and, and there's some of us that have a way to work through this, to swim through the tsunami. Yeah. How do you do that? So... Um... As you know, Paul, I'm also working my way through the licensure for marriage and family therapy masters, a psychotherapy degree, because I, I realized that as a culture, we're not really good at trauma. And the best definition of trauma I've gotten is when you have an event that is so outside of your realm of right and wrong that it kind of gets stuck in a feedback loop, you know, through your, your amygdala, your amygdala injects emotional value into things. And so you get 
that wasn't, that didn't make sense. Let's experience it again. Oh, that still didn't make sense. Let's experience it again. And you have this loop and it, and it, and it keeps you stuck. Yeah. And when the, that trauma gets released, it goes to, I, I think if I, if I remember right, the hippocampus that kind of processes it as, oh, well, let's codify this. This fits in the library here. And it makes sense. Uh, what, what I did is, well, first found good therapists that, that practiced uh, eye movement uh, desensitization reprocessing, EMDR, highly recommended. Two, um, realize that when it comes to trauma, the ease or not, not the easy way, that's the wrong term. The goofy modernist way is to cover it up with stuff because, you know, 300 years ago, Paul, you and I lived in a village of about 250 people, most of whom we were probably related to by blood or marriage that knew us intrinsically and could see when something was goofy and could talk to us about things and put it into the greater context of who our people were, what our religion was, what our tribal history was, all those things, right? These days, we've given up that close connection for a lot of money and a lot of freedom and a lot of loneliness in this industrialized modern world. And so there's virtually no one that we're around who can look at us and say, wow, something's not right with Paul. Something's hanging on Jake. We need to talk about these things. We need to discuss these things through myths and stories. And so that's why therapists come into come into being very important. And that's why very close friends come into being very important. One of the vices that we get into these modern days is covering it up with sex, alcohol, drugs, right? Thou shalt not but do those the dopamine things. stimulators. Because the dopamine stimulators. Well, I feel bad. I'm going to do things that give me a cheap hit of feel good. Right. And, it, but the problem is with those things is they inevitably break down trust. That's why so many people with like PTSD end up committing affairs and blowing up their marriages, right? Or their, their close relationships. They're seeking the dopamine hit of, Hey, I'm going to find somebody who makes me feel good about myself. I'm going to sleep with them and it's going to blow up my key relationships because in a lot of ways, when you're dealing with PTSD and you're not handling it really well, you, you get an emotional flatness and that emotional flatness is really tough to deal with for people who don't know how they take it as a rejection of them. And, and so in this human dance, when you're rejecting them, they're rejecting you and you get further and further apart in your orbit. Well, then you bring people in that make you feel initially pretty good. And then you blow up your more important relationships. It's just, it's silliness. It you know, becomes that cycle. You get past it, you, it does. And you, it, it, it gets rather comical the further you get away from it. So, Paul, I, I wrote a lot. I, I, I had a really sacred moment with a, with a really good therapist that I found. And they are hard to find, really difficult to find. Um, where I realized that some of the angst or pain I had with some of the dudes that got killed in Afghanistan by the work that I did or helped do, um, there was a the, there was a a realization that the Hindus kind of have it right. At the end of the day, we're all connected, we're all related, and I can't hurt you without hurting me. And at the at the end of it all, we're 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 just energy. And there's a desire, even though the person who 
was killed, was an evil dude and had to go away. They just, they had to go away. There's a desire to somehow make contact with that spirit, that entity again, and, and make it right in a way. Hey man, you know, a trillion, you know, a trillion years from now when we're all space dust and energy, Hey man, it was that time it was me next time, uh, or that time it was you next time it could be me. I got you in this game of life. Um, no hard feelings. It's just the game. To, to create understanding, to come to understanding. And, and when I went through that, that cycle, it, the, the, the energy just lifted right from me. And that, that was extremely, extremely helpful. And so I, I wrote about it in those contexts. I mean, we, we get in these situations and as Marines, you have a job to do. Now, Afghanistan was explained to me in a, in a really succinct way. If you took Los Angeles and cordoned it off, and killed everybody over 30 years old, you know, put a plexiglass dome over it and let it marinate for 30 years, you would have Afghanistan. It would be completely messed up, right? So it's hard to blame some of the dudes and the personalities that we met over there after the Soviet Union did what they did and and then the Taliban came to power and it marinated. These were still humans. And at the end of the day, it's regrettable that they had to die, some of them. Uh, definitely regrettable that this innocent civilians have, have been killed, but really if we had a magic wand to make it, so there were no evil doers, uh, that, you know, were, were, were causing or were committing terrorism, uh, we would, we would do that magic wand, but guys like you and me, Paul, we were asked by our country to go over there and do some things, sometimes regrettable, or rather the further you get away from it, the older you get the more the regret kind of seeps in. And that's something that I find in these old Vietnam vets and the hills that I live in. Yeah. They still have regrets. And those are the guys that I'm trying to do kind of a ministry towards uh, an, an irreligious ministry, but man, to, to, I'm kind of rambling on, but to answer your question, you, you've got to, you've got to put the trauma in the context of this experience called life. Yeah. And, and, and it's so complex and there's such a calculus to it that I think the only way you can do it is to put it into stories, put it into myths, make, so write your own get, myth. Get really tactical. Yeah. Three steps. If someone is yeah. feeling that overwhelm, if somebody's, the, the way I like to, to think about PTS is similar yeah. to what you said, like a, a, a clothes washing machine that's stuck on the spin right. cycle. We had that growing up and you just had to listen for it and then you go in and like, put the dial forward one notch and then the cycle would be yeah. able to, to clean the rest of the, of the clothes. So somebody's stuck in that spin cycle. Somebody is like overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. What are the three steps to them to, to come out on top? Move, go out and walk. That's the first thing. Um, EMDR was, was created by a, a gal last name Shapiro. And it, and it sounds goofy, but it's actually a, it, it's a primary means of now in modern psychology addressing trauma. She, she realized one day, she was a researcher, that she felt better with issues and trauma she was facing when she went on walks. And yeah. she's like, why do I feel better after a walk? And, and after a long time of study, it, it appears that it's the, the, literally the eyes moving while you're thinking about and talking about issues that actually helps your amygdala send these these spin cycle things over your hippocampus to get registered in okay this is the in the library of paul's life this is what he's dealing with and this is why it makes sense get out and move 
depression is gross because it, you want to sit still, you want to sleep, you want to watch TV, yeah. get out and walk. And, and my goodness, if you can create relationships with people that you can talk with and, and that aren't going to try to give you 10 pound brain answers or tell you why you're wrong from whatever religious aspect, just listen as yeah. you tell your story that will cover a multitude of sins. It just, it, it somehow makes things go away. So you got to get out and move and then don't self-medicate. Don't self like there, there are times when your trauma is so severe when you're having anxiety attacks where you may have to roll a doobie where you may have to pop a Xanax or whatever it is. I, I would, I would ask that people understand that that's a crutch, but that's not the long-term answer. You, you've got to move that, that psychic energy. Was, so, was that enough step for you, Paul? Well, I think, I think we kind of had a, a, an intermediate step there because we've got walk and we've got walk. talk and not to your girlfriends, not to your boys, not to the people that you're going to call up and like complain right. and whine to and then be like, oh, it's okay. Right, right. You're going to talk to somebody that yeah. helps you take action. And then third is be aware of uh, dopamine-driven activities. For me, coming back from Afghanistan, yeah. it was pizza and whiskey, uh, yeah. uh, Netflix, uh, video games is still something that I, yeah. it's a zero tolerance for me. Uh, right. And so these other dopamine activities to feel good instead of doing yeah. the work to move the spin cycle up to that next notch. So yeah, I think that was three notches, three, three, uh, yeah, steps there. I, yeah. I, and uh, apologies for not being able to give good, uh, cohesive, concise steps, but the stuff is messy and it's not always easily distillable to steps. And, and, and it's very, it, it's very personable, personal, yeah. you know, um, some people it's, it's lifting weights. Some people it's walking, some people training. It, it, it really depends on the person. Um, but yeah, just what do we know in the Marine Corps? Shoot, move, communicate. <laughs> uh, right, right. And, and that's, that's more profound than you might think because to shoot, you have to, you have to target acquire. Uh, and they have to make a decision to pull a trigger with, yeah. when, with your own psychology. When you're feeling bad, you have to decide, okay, what am I feeling bad about? The why I'm feeling bad may remain a mystery because I don't know how many times I can tell you, oh, well, I'm feeling bad because I don't like the girl I'm married to. You know, I don't, I am feeling bad because I don't like my job where that's wrong. The why is silly. It's the what it's the fact that you are feeling bad when you are. I recommend long walks, long walks of thought, not long walks of feeling sorry, long walks of appreciating because gratitude, Paul, is a really difficult habit and a crucial habit. Uh, this COVID-19 thing, this quarantine thing is kind of a blessing in disguise for a lot of people because they're realizing in so many ways the little things that they've never gotten into, like the flavor of fresh parsley. A friend of mine yeah. just pointed out. Yeah. Um, my my kids teaching a baby goat whose mother rejected him, uh, teaching that baby goat to feed from another mama goat who didn't like him at first, and getting those two to bond. What yeah. a sacred experience! Um, getting getting out, moving, helping others, visiting the old, walking with them, talking with them. It just it, it moves energy. There's wisdom in old ways of doing things. So sorry if my answer was messy. I love though. it. No, no, no. Because in being that messy, 
please know if you're watching this, if you're listening to this right now, there's not a cookie cutter approach. Everybody's spin cycle is so unique. Uh, and really what yeah. you've, what you've talked about here, uh, is something that my mentor, uh, somebody we've both studied from Brennan Burchard, uh, mm -hmm. he said to me before I joined the Marine Corps, uh, Paul, don't forget your humanity or don't, or he's, yeah. don't lose your humanity is what he said. Right. And that really came just knocking on my doorstep in places like Afghanistan and in places throughout my career in the Marine Corps with some of the things that I advocated for. Uh, I want to come back. You, you said that having that gratitude practice, what are, yeah. what's the, what's the number one thing that you're grateful for right now? My wife, um, we had a hard 10 first, uh, first 10 years of marriage. I tend to be way too cerebral. I tend to be way too intellectual about things. Whereas she can just have a gut instinctual sense about things that don't make sense. And she doesn't articulate it well. And that was nigh unto impossible for me to respect or appreciate. And so I, you know, we'll both say it. I gave her hell for the first 10 years and she went emotionally distanced. And, and so it was, it was dumb. Our marriage was stupid for like 10 years, but in the last five years of our 15 year marriage, it's been blissful. It's been just great uh, with some, you know, upsets, but it's been great. And so what, what I have really gotten into is something called uh, the Lindy effect, which is, and I'm going to way oversimplify it, things that have been around for a long time will continue to be or are likely to continue to be around for a long time things that haven't been a lot around for a long time likely won't we're talking about countries that have been around for a long time they'll continue old buildings that have been around for a long time they'll continue um and it goes for relationships and, and it goes for old people if you, it, it's funny that they've actually shown that somebody who gets to the age of 75 85 90 are more likely to hang around than people that are younger. There's like age cutoffs where if you're alive at this time, you're going to continue being alive for the next 10 years. It, mm. it's, it is in many ways counterintuitive. So I'm looking at things like right now, dude, I don't read books that have been published within the last 10 years. Yeah. I only read books that are 10 years or older. And if they're still bestsellers, I'll read them. If they're not, it wasn't worth my time. I do my very, very best to cut news out because modern journalism, modern media is nonsense. It's, it's clickbait for the most part. I try to cut it out. It's almost impossible. But uh, I'm, and I say all that to say this, there's something beautifully instinctual about wholesome, earthy people. One of, you know, my wife is one of those, right? Trusting that, appreciating that. She has been a, phenomenal saddle partner for all my uh, wild all across the world antics and has never once, I think, tried to stall and stop for stability sakes. I love that. Was that lovely, Paul? Was I, that nice? We're, 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 uh, we're going to chop that out and send it to her right after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've got your own business growing and we talked about yeah. something that you could extend to some uh, very qualified, uh, listeners. And why don't you talk yeah. us through that, that what is it that you do? Uh, where can people find you and, and how can they apply to yeah. work with you? Well, 
so I, I run a consulting firm, uh, limited liability corporation uh, called Career Flex. Uh, I kind of wish I would have named it Life Flex, which is a you know a DBA <laughs> that I have. Um, and and the reason is the the things that make us good at work are the things that should make us good at life. I do a lot of I do a lot of deep coaching through this practice. Um, uh, for instance, I, I took on a gal who was a, a senior manager at a company, and 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 she was basically trying to be one of the guys. And her career had stalled and she didn't understand why. And we got to talking and I said, look, you need to buy into your own feminine mystique. You need to show up to the, your, your company, to your business, to your work as who you are, a, a sensual, feeling, deeply emotional, passionate woman. I mean, stop trying to be one of the guys. And of course, it was a much longer conversation than that, but she did that. Yeah. Within six months, she was promoted. Within six months, she was... Uh, she was running that organization. She was running that organization. It, I, what I do with career flex is I have really deep, difficult is the wrong word, but the English language is utility driven, not philosophy driven. I have these conversations that are, that get into the deep of people's psyches without trying to diagnose underlying issues. Cause I think very few people actually have underlying psychosis or anything like that. Right. It, it is it is helping you identify what is actually driving you. What do you actually want that you're maybe afraid to put out there, afraid to live? Because man, somebody put it out to me like this, that there's like $80 trillion of liquid capital flowing around the world right now at any one time. Are you telling me that you, Paul or Jake, can't get 0.0001% of that? As, as a as a sizable, beautiful, livable income, using or bearing the gifts that you have, you really need to put yourself on a shelf and go autopilot in some company that 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 honestly probably sucks, that you probably hate, that you don't wake up Monday morning saying, "Yes, I'm going to go do this." Right? Right. Right. That's what I love helping people do, and that's ultimately why why I left multinational corporations, and here I am being wild in Montana because. I've got a lot of attributes that people want to pay for. And so yeah. do the people listening to your podcast, man. It's yeah. just our school system, our education system is not set up to teach people that. We're Prussian, man. We want to teach bot bots. Right? right, right, right. It's nonsense. And it doesn't make us happy. So that my, my offer under this COVID-19, you know, it, it's Corona time as the commercial goes. Yeah. Um, I, I want to offer people, let, you know, 30% off for, for the services I provide, for the conversations I provide. And we create a narrative case on why you need to be you in your relationships, in your business, in your, in your physical fitness, all these different things. Get the blockers away and yeah. just be you, right? It, it cuts out it. the nonsensical people that don't help you be you and yeah. it brings in and, and, People are afraid that when they get rid of the nonsensical people that don't add to their life, they're going to be lonely. Not so. When you do that, it creates this room and suddenly these beautiful souls come in. Yeah. And you're like, holy crap, where have you been the last two decades? I've been waiting in line. Right. Your, your party was right. full. So, right. Uh, basically. So we'll put the links to that offer uh, in yeah. the show notes. And where do yeah. you hang out the most? Instagram, Facebook, where, where do you hang out? Well, Recently, man, Twitter. I mean, Facebook is is goofy. 
Um, it didn't used to be as goofy. I think Twitter's probably goofy, but I've, I, I, I have discovered, rediscovered Twitter for the third time. Okay. And I what's have your, rapidly, what's your handle? Your career flex at your career, career flex. Why do you ask me these hard questions? Paul? I want to be able to have um, people uh, get in contact with you if they're driving or if they're, if they're listening on a jog right now. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll vamp as I, you gonna, are looking that up right now. Yeah. I'm going to look up where I twit. Dude, so dude, listen, I, I have realized in my life that there is a very little value in, you know, the top 10 ways to bra or the, the, the 30 different ways you need to bra the, these organic sloppy, real authentic relationships where, where people are people in front of each other to each other is the most valuable thing you can have, man. I, I, I've realized that, you know, through the Marine Corps, I got promoted to major. I was a, I was a senior dude for the you know, last company I worked for Amazon. I, I, the, the machinations that we put forth to try to impress each other are so dumb because when you sit down with most of the people we work with who are, who are assholes and sorry for, I know this is a family friendly program, but they're, they're assholes. You get a couple glasses of wine into them and, and, and this realness come out and you're like, man, if this guy or this gal was like this all the time, we could work together, but instead they want to put on all these pretensions. Why? Right. Right. I, so I, I, I've decided to put down the pretensions and, and never again in my life work for men or women that don't have integrity. And that's why I'm out here being wild and free. I love it. All right. So was that, you. was that a good vamp for your Twitter handle? That was pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't... At your, at your career flex. Uh, yeah. At your, at career, your flex. career flex. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, final couple questions here. Yeah. Uh, if you woke up tomorrow and found out that it was your last day to live, yeah. what would you do? Probably call my mom, talk to sweet baby Jay. Which is your wife for everybody that doesn't yeah. know the nickname. Yeah. 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 Um, die happy, man. I've had a good life. I've had a good go at it. I, uh, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I, I've learned to not hold back. I, my, my dad gave me this great piece of advice that some people disagree with to plan your life out in, in uh, four year increments, assuming that you're going to be bored of whatever you're doing. And so I literally have a plan at any one time from now to 2024 to 2025 to 2026. And I, and I invest money in things, you know, cause I know I'll be old someday and brittle and I'll need, you know, to retire. But it's not like anybody who asked me, where do you want to, you know, where do you want to be in the next 20 years? Such a linear damn thinker, man. I don't know who I'm going to be when I'm 55 or 56. I, if somebody at my 20 years old would have told me this was, would be my life, I would have said, you're crazy. Yeah. There's no way to plan that stuff linearly. You've got yeah. to be a second order of that thinker. You got to, I'm sorry, a, 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 a type two thinker thinking of second, third order effects, interactions, complexities. Right, and, right. and, and see, and trying to save yourself from blowups, the black swan events. Right. 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 So yeah, man, I, I would die tomorrow and had not have any regrets at this point. Cause I might do. Oh yeah. Well, I want to challenge you. If you haven't recently called your mama, like today, give her a call. Once we yesterday. get to you did yesterday, give her, give her a call today at the, at the end of, uh, at the end of our conversation. Go up and give uh, Sweet Baby Jay 
uh, a big old kiss and, uh, and, uh, and continue. I just love everything that you said. I know that we're going to do this again. I want to acknowledge you before I ask you the, the final question here. Uh, you know, we've known each other now for nine, eight years, nine years. Nine years, eight years, yeah. And I absolutely love how you continue to bring the humanity into situations. I got to see you do it in Second Marine Division in North Carolina. Uh, I got to see you do it and participate with you in some uh, pieces of bringing back the humanity in Helmand Province, Afghanistan. I got to see you do it as you were in Europe. Uh, and now you're in my home state and I, I see you continuing to reach out and bring the humanity to situations. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and right now, as we're practicing social distancing and social responsibility, your innovation is gonna to continue to lead people around the world for how to bring humanity and, and keep it to the forefront of everything we're doing. Even if that means we're doing it through a Zoom call like you and I are doing right now. So thank you yeah. so much for everything that you're doing in this world. Final question for you. What is your definition of take command? All of these hard questions, Paul. Um, take, what is my definition of take command? Oh, identify your principles. Uh, I, I, I actually think that one's pretty easy. You, you need to identify your principles. And by that, I don't mean um, what you wish you were. I mean, what are the things you're actually doing? How do you spend your time? Who do you hang around with? Who do you love? Those are your guiding principles. If you write those down and determine you don't actually like those principles, if you were to be embarrassed if they were you know, carved onto your headstone, well, then it's incumbent on you to change them. <laughs> Go forth and do that, right? Um, I, I spend a lot of time developing and identifying my principles. You, you remember, I don't know if you saw on my uh, Facebook back in the day, me and my son sat down and wrote down our rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, we, I sat down with our three kids and, and sweet Nellie Rowe was only like two. So she you know, didn't really have any inputs. Um, we wrote down 13 rules for, for how our family would, um, operate and uh, things like be honest, be honorable, be wild, um, be reliable, you know, stuff like that. And then there was, there's a lot more and they sounded a lot cooler. I've, I, we actually have it in storage since we haven't moved into the structure yet, but I, I don't think I don't think um, hard and fast processes when you're living your life are as effective as flexible, rather adaptable, enforceable principles uh, that that guide you through your next four years. Because uh, I again, I don't think that you can plan your life out too far. But I think you can have phenomenal principles. And if you need more details on that, Ray Dalio, uh, Bridgewater and Associates, wrote a great book on principles from a more corporate setting, but it, it, it's really useful. Um, my version of take command is to determine what your guiding principles, your subroutines are, decide if that's what you want your subroutines to be, modify them if not, and live up to them, enforce them against yourself if you like them. And, and that leads you to great spaces. I love it. I love it. We're going to do this again. I know, Jake Freeman, it's been an 
absolute honor and privilege having you on the show. Thank you so much. This episode was so important for me to showcase, being able to talk with people that I served with in the Marine Corps that I went to war with in the Marine Corps. And Jake is one of those people that I hold in the highest esteem. We had a lot of fun. We didn't even get into a lot of the other life truths that he and I have discussed and taken a look at and how we can implement in our lives. Don't worry though, we're gonna have him back on a future episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, then be that hero, be that champion, share it with a friend. If you're listening to this on a on a uh, podcast app, share it with your friend on the podcast app or send them over to paulgowan.com slash 004. Text one friend right now. Say, hey, I listened to this conversation. Uh, emotion is information. This is one of the, the main points that I got out of it. Would you please listen to this? And I, I wanna talk with you about this. I wanna have this conversation. When you do that, you can be that giver. You can be that champion in someone's life. Also, if you want to put this over on Instagram and tag me in it and Jake, uh, at paul.gowan, be sure to tag Jake as well uh, because that way we know like how we're getting our message out there and we're able to serve other people. I'm so grateful for Jake's wisdom and that I get to share it with you. Uh, can you do me a favor? Go over and leave me a rating. One star to five stars, comment, like whatever you enjoyed. If you don't like what I'm doing, give me that feedback. Help me help others take command in their life. Uh, I also love to give a shout out for people that have the uh, feedback. Uh, give a shout out of the week. Uh, as I continue my mission, uh, your feedback helps me find the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most experienced people from all different walks of life to help you take command in your life, in your relationships, and in your business. You have the power because of the knowledge to transform your life. It comes down to the application of that knowledge to reach that next level. And if you find that you are stuck right now or you know that you can grow faster under the help of an expert, then head over to paulgowan.com apply. I'm uh, taking applications right now within my client studio and my team and I would love to see your application to see if you're a good fit. We're looking for people who want to grow further, faster, under the guidance of an expert. This is a personal foundation growth that can be applied to relationships and your business. If you're interested in that, paulgowan.com slash apply. I am so grateful for Jake and all of his lessons that he shared on this conversation. Remember that quote from the beginning from Helen Keller, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. Heartfelt message today from Jake and I. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being part of the Take Command Project by listening to the Take Command Conversation podcast. You matter. You are such an important person. I love you so much. I am dedicated to your success and I'm so grateful that you are here as part of this community. That wraps up this conversation so you know what time it is. It's time to get back out there. Take command so you can live the life of your dreams.